Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, awesome. Lincoln, incredible. Kia, tremendous. Hyundai, fabulous. And pre-owned inventory that is second to none. All backed by the Sunbury Motors name. You can do this online at sunburymotors.com. You can get the process started from the comfort of your own home. And don't forget about the great service department they have at Sunbury Motors. Okay. Uh, Mark Wogenrich in just a few moments from SI.com. But first... Our play-by-play call of the day. The Phils on their way to the World Championship clinch the National League East. Ground ball up the middle. Great play. Rollins up lead. The Philadelphia Phillies are the National League Division champions of the East for the second straight year on a brilliant play by Jimmy Rollins. And that was uh, step number one on their way to the 2008 World Series, where they eventually beat the Tampa Bay Rays. What a year. The Phillies' second championship to go with the one in 1980. Mark Wogenrich is one of the class acts out there, does a great job covering Penn State football. He's now with SI.com. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hope you and yours are safe and sound. Doing well, thanks, Steve. 82 sounds like a good number. <laughs> it was a good number. I, I, I fouled up 18. Uh, so, I mean, like, I fouled it up. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I got to go back and rectify it now. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I know that feeling. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's start with this. Uh, James Franklin, an opportunity to talk about not just whatever plan he has for Penn State, he has to have a family plan. And when you're in that, you know, when you're in his shoes, you have to. What does it tell us about the man and the family that, in order to keep this going, everybody is going to have to make a sacrifice like this? Yeah, four core values, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that that that's high on the list. There was something I was curious about. I spoke to James about a month ago now, and I mean, he discussed very openly at. Um, I was daughter Addison, who has you know sickle cell disease, and you know being immunocompromised cannot be um, you know cannot be exposed to the coronavirus at all. So obviously, you know they were they quarantined themselves away from everybody um, since March. And it was one thing I was curious about, and you know, I asked him. He really hadn't any had they didn't he didn't have an idea then, or at least you know didn't wasn't you know, really open to discussing yet. But I thought. What is he going to do? Is he going to self-quarantine himself in the last building, get an apartment, or you know, rent another house? How is this going to happen? So um, I can't imagine how they actually um, really came down to that decision. Um, 
obviously cannot be difficult because they, you know, family had settled in, kids are in school, things like that. Um, if there's, you know, coaches get so nomadic that, you know, these family decisions, how many times do coaches live apart from their families when kids are in school anyway, changing jobs? But this was different for him. I mean, they had settled here for seven years now. So that really puts, um, I mean, I, I think puts a statement on his commitment to coaching Penn State through a sacrifice and his family's commitment to, uh, you know, being part of that sacrifice as well. Yeah, no, and that's uh, and that that's part of it. He's going to be around so many people, right, the entire time. You know, and it's uh, obviously it's this is it had to be a difficult decision. But he's also surrounded by and has uh, has contact with many great medical professionals that help you make a decision like that. I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know, obviously he some you know. Somebody tests positive in September or something like that. You may yeah. have a great summer or August, and then you get a positive test mm-hmm. when you know, students are returning. He's just there. That that's the personal yeah. that's the personal side of it that he simply cannot afford to take that chance. So the fact that his family is willing to make that sacrifice too, I think it says a lot for them and their commitment uh, and to Penn State. Yeah, they're also going to have to make arrangements as to how to handle school and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. there's a lot of other issues that go with it. With it. Uh, I guess they would have the benefit of having a couple of months of, um, you know, distance learning. So at least they know those ropes. That won't be completely new. But, uh, I mean, uh, transition is always going to be uh, always going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, in uh, college football, we've had, obviously, you mentioned positive tests. Mm-hmm. I mean, did anybody expect there wouldn't be any? I can't imagine why you would expect that. I mean, you bring – in any you know, in any place, you're bringing kids back from places that might have been, you know, fairly benign to places that were hit rather hard. You know, where I live, eastern Pennsylvania, we were hit pretty hard um, by this back in in March and April. So there were a lot of positive cases. What was it? What, so, what, what was it like for you living in the Allentown area because that was hit really hard? So what was that like on a daily basis? I just didn't go out much. I mean, honestly, you know, I nothing was open to go to, so that was fine. I mean, I went to a local park, took walks, and I did, um, you know, grocery shopping, stuff like that. We, you know, we had lines outside the grocery store where you had to wait, you know, and stuff like that. I didn't, I mean, I did not sequester myself terribly, but yeah, it was, we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of positive testing. We were close to areas. They had a lot of positive testing because, you know, near Philadelphia, um, Delaware County, New York, New Jersey, that sort of thing. So there was a lot of that that went on. Um, so, again, yeah, you bring in to bring kids back from areas that were affected. Yeah. Like that, it had to, you know, that's, that has to play into, um, that's obviously has to play in the way you handle returns, and it's gone on across you know, across the across the country, I don't know the positive test at this point. I guess we're just kind of conditioned to that being an alarm, um, and it, I still think it's probably a little too soon for that to be a real um, tangible alarm that could 
that could affect the season and that could maybe really right. uh, you know cause the season to be canceled I should say I mean it's going to affect the season there's no doubt about that but I think we're to me it seems there's still some distance that we that we shouldn't be canceling the season um, out of hand right now so let me ask you how is your area now and uh, and how uh, accepting are people of actually going out, or there's still many people in your sense that are really cautious. I think people sort of starting to emerge from that. I, I do see, I, I do see mask wearing. Um, yeah, be, be is that it's still it's um, people are complying with that for the most part. I'm I'm seeing that. We I guess we return to. Um, in the state's orders to green status on Friday, which means more okay. businesses can open. I can actually maybe get a haircut. Um, that's <laughs> one thing that would make me happier almost more than anything. Um, but I, you know, I've been out to dinner once and it was, you know, sitting outside okay. that sort of thing. So we're not, I, we're not where state college um, was at all, but then also, I mean, this is a residency area and you, you know, you lost how many residents in March kind of thing. So, Thirty thousand, I think, obviously in August. You know, when when uh, when kids return, that that'll be right. uh, that'll be a barometer. And I was really, I was really stuck. I watched a couple of the the virtual town halls that President Barron and some of the other Penn State officials uh, conducted on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday. That it was. Um, they're really pressing hard for the mask wearing thing. I mean, beyond the fact that it's going to be required, mm-hmm. um, and they were discussing the fact that you know professors could use you know use math to affect grades if there's a participation grade involved in a course and a you know, student doesn't want to wear a mask you could use that uh, you know the grading thing even before it gets to a code of conduct thing so right. there seems to be a pretty stringent and, and um, uh, enforcement of that planned yeah because I know this is how I, I want to do I, I teach one broadcasting class, and you know, and, and, and to my credit, I destroy a lot of careers. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I turn, Marcus is like, you know, I'm like a steamroller. Uh, and this is how I told him I want to do it. I said, "Look, I said I want to do an in-person class." And I said, "But I also want to have my laptop there with a Zoom option every single uh-huh. class. So if somebody isn't comfortable." Or doesn't feel well, they could do it like that. And uh, and I'm going to try and get my my, you know, if everything were to fall into place, I'd like to get all my stuff done before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, that way, even when we get to that area afterward, it's not putting the students in a bad spot where they need a studio to do something. So I mean, you know, you have to think about all of those things in order to to make it happen. And I'm putting a schedule together right now to see if I can make that happen. And it was the one curious thing I had about, you know, how that would regard sports. I mean, uh, you know it too. I mean, James Franklin, every August you see his players tweeting out, and James Franklin always mentions, hey, sit in front of the class, that sort of thing. Yes. Um, now, I mean, he's going to have to tell them, I, I guess, next team meeting, he's going to say, you're sitting in front of the class wearing a mask. I mean, you have to comply with that. So, I mean, athletes, you know, what if athletes – Sure. Don't comply with that. I mean, and they're going to be they're going to be told obviously well before that because you know, especially the fall athletes who are back starting um, training that sort of thing <clears throat> they're getting that guidance already. That's not going to be new to them. But if they don't, then <laughs> then they're not going to play uh, that sort of thing. 
Um, right. That is, I mean, yeah. that's a that's a, a huge carrot to hold over somebody's head. So let me ask you about the job for a moment. Well, it seems I've got you here. You write for a paper for a long time, and there's a way yeah. and expectation as to how you go about it. Now you get a new job. You're with SI.com. Great move for them. Happy for you. But what have been, like, is it different? Do you have, have you had to make an adjustment? What's their philosophy compared to the philosophy that you had before? So, yeah, I was a deadline guy. Um and that, and that changed. That obviously all changed because, you know, newspapers have gone digital as well. But for the longest time, I was a deadline guy. It was, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, whatever that was. So you had time. If you weren't on deadline covering a story, you know, even when you know, a Penn State game with a, with a noon kick, a 10 o'clock deadline or something like that. So you had time to kind of get information, kind of gather stuff up, really think about what you wanted, what you considered to be important. Um Digital. The digital deadline is 24 hours. It's constant, so um, there's always something on deadline. You know what I mean? So you, I think you have less, and I think we're seeing that across media that we have a little less time to uh, absorb uh, information and and maybe and report information that maybe we just get some stuff out there that a little soon, maybe a little quicker than it should be out there. We're not processing it quite properly yet. Um, I still try to do that. I still try to process stuff as, as best I can before getting it up. Um, I really like, but one thing I do like, I like that action, the immediacy of it, you know, kind mm-hmm. of the constancy. There's always something new. There's always something new to think about, too. I was wondering how I was going to get through a summer of, uh, you know, of Penn State football without having much Penn State football. And so far, um, there's been a lot. There's, I mean, there's always a lot. Yeah, there's always seems you know in this situation there's you know beyond the fact that there's um, you're waiting for you know the the newest coronavirus uh, news to break about what's going to happen there, but there's also you know Penn State's such a living breathing thing, mm-hmm. you know with uh, with regard to football and and the business of it, the recruiting of it, everything like that. So there's always there's always a direction to come at it from, and that's kind of where. That's where I'm seeing uh, the biggest change is that how many different ways can you look at the Penn State sports department, uh, even, you know, even going beyond football. Looking forward to maybe in July catching up with some former Penn State Olympians and, like, Olympians who should have been there, uh, go, you know, in Tokyo and catching up and seeing how they're doing. One guy, Joe Kovacs, I think is just such a great – he's yeah. a great guy he's from my area here. He was a silver medalist in the shot put in Rio and uh, just won the world championship last year. Yeah. I hope to catch up with him and say, you know, is 21 going to be his year? And, mm-hmm. and so there's always something like that. Right. Plus it's also the 40th anniversary of, uh, of 1980 could, yeah. when athletes didn't go. And I know, uh, for mm-hmm. example, Char Moret, uh, Char Moret Curtis, the field hockey coach here, event, she stuck, she stuck it out to 84 and they won a bronze medal, but she was on that mm-hmm. 1980 team that didn't go. Greg Fredericks, runner here in Bullsburg. I was just going to say, that was the name I was trying to come up with because I spoke with Greg Fredericks about a month ago, yeah. you know, just about that, about 1980, and you know he was pretty much, he was ready to go, and yep. he went to four Olympic trials, and that's the only time he qualified. Yeah. Um, and he still, uh, I, I think he still looks back on it as a defining, you know, defining moment. It's also something that defines him too, character-wise. That it wasn't the, you know, it wasn't the end, you know, for him. Yeah, that sort of thing. It didn't it ultimately didn't, uh, you know, 
wasn't the worst thing in the world, I guess. You know, the way kind of way he explained it. Well, let me put it this way: uh, as somebody who's known Greg for a long, long time, mm-hmm. he has the kind of personality. Yeah. That allows it not to be the defining moment of his life. Yeah. I mean, he's he he has always been a great big picture person. So, absolute pleasure. Always fun just chatting with you about virtually anything. Mark, appreciate. Yeah, that'd be good. Oh, yeah, appreciate you and everything very much. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate having me on. Do it again. Mark Wogenrich, SI.com. We'll come back with more in a moment. And before I get to that, very quick, Greg Fredericks. Greg Fredericks, I believe, qualified in the 10,000 meters. And that was his one and only shot at it. And obviously, a massive disappointment, but he never let it define him. He never did. Yeah, Greg Fredericks, a great, great guy. Great guy. Uh, lives over in Bullsburg here. Char Moret was devastated. When she found out, I, in fact, I think she was working out, and Joe D'Ange on the football team came over and said, "Hey, Shard, you hear that the President Carter said no to the Olympics?" And she was devastated, but she decided to stick with it, and she became an assistant coach at Old Dominion, working with one of the true greats in the history of U.S. field hockey, Beth Anders, and stuck with it, and that team in 1984 in Los Angeles beat Australia for the bronze medal. In fact, I think Beth Andrews scored the winning goal for the U.S. in that. So she was able to stick it out. All right, now we'll take a break. Back with more in a moment, brought to you by Sunbury Motors here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, welcome back. Great to have you with us here on the show today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Now, have you reassumed the power position seat? I have. Now, it sounds to me like you're still in the studio. Oh, yeah, I'm still in the studio. Yeah, I thought you meant by power position meeting the uh, Studio A chair. Yeah, I'm still here. Not not in the producer chair. No, yeah. So who is actually running this show today? Uh, Mark Stevens is getting a little refresher because he'll, be hey, he'll be running the show on uh, Wednesday. So, Hey, Mark, how are you? <laughs> well, I haven't tanked it yet, have I? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You've, you've done, you've oh, done just fine. 
Always an adventure, Steve. So have the two of you actually physically seen the suit in the building? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did today. You don't seem very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> All right. Um... <laughs> well, I couldn't talk to him. He was very busy. <laughs> oh, I always love those people. Can't talk to you. I'm really busy. Got to go. Got to run. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. You know, there he is. I, I know he's there. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way: it's a lot like being in the restaurant and the waiters running around furiously, and then you realize after an hour nobody got any food. All right, so uh, that's. <laughs> Did you enjoy our opening uh, where we talked about uh, IndyCar? I think he's in shock. He is in shock, and now he's laughing, because I think Mark just updated him. He was doing something else, of course. <laughs> All right. Great to have you with us on the show today. Don't forget the lines are always open. Look forward to talking to you. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. And Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you go online to sunburymotors.com. You can check out the great line of Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, awesome pre-owned inventory, and get the process started from the comfort of your own living room at sunburymotors.com. Great to have you with us today. And uh, we're going to have Dieter Kurtenbach on tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Lakers, who have been working out, and people are saying... uh, there are people claiming that they're cheating by doing it. Now, I don't know if that's, you know, we'll find out, but they the Lakers have been working out. Well, they, the volunteer workouts have been allowed by the NBA as long as the health protocols have been in place for your state. Yes, uh, but they've been doing it evidently at the home of... A rich Lakers fan who has a replica of Staples Center in his house. Ah, oh, well, then this is a different story, then. <laughs> it's... Uh, oh, that's fishy, then. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, LeBron has not been shy about saying, hey, um, uh, I'm playing. He hasn't been shy about that. 
And let's be honest about it. Uh, they've got a real chance to win it. It's also interesting with the NBA what they're doing. The 22 teams, you know, the eight regular season games, uh, followed by then the the playoff, the play-in. You know what, whenever I've looked at it, uh, whenever I've looked at it, I've always thought the same thing over and over again. They put 22 teams in and it, and took the end of the season to get to the next playoff group because guess right now who's slightly on the outside looking in? Zion Williamson. The Pelicans would not be in in the 16-team playoff. And I felt the entire time like, okay, let's see, 22 teams. The first thing I thought was, I said, they, because they were doing everything they could that... Yeah, to, to keep their stars alive, and this is the only yeah. problem, Steve, that I've had it, that I have with this, and I've always had with the NBA. I get you need to have star players to grow your league. There's no question about that. But when you are forming your game around the stars, that to me is when it becomes a problem. Because let's face it, the teams that are on the outside looking in right now, you basically have to win at least six games in order to have a shot, plus get help. So, really, I don't really see the huge point in bringing teams like the Pelicans, because what are they, four games back right now in, in the West? If you're two uh, you games be, back I, or I less. Think, I think you have to be, what, three and a half back or less? It was four. Okay, I'm sorry, four no, it was, it, was, uh, it was six. Okay. And the Pelicans, I believe, are like three and a half, four back, whatever it is. So that's already asking a lot anyway. It would make more sense to me if they had allowed teams in if you were two games or fewer, maybe even three. If you were three or fewer away from a playoff spot, you can be led in. Now, it's not the case in the East, as we've talked about that before. It's just the Wizards that are involved there. Right. But to let the Pelicans in when they're, like, on the cusp of that, I mean, that that just shows to me you just want them in because of Zion Williamson. And to me, that's that's not how to do that. That's, that's not to incorporate saying. your stars, and that's my only problem with this. They, you know, this this is going to be a made-for-TV event because there won't be any fans there. So part of the made-for-TV event is to make sure he's there, and I believe Memphis is is there too, and that means John Morant. Exactly. And they're and they're on basically the real outside looking in too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Unreal. Well, not unreal. It is. It's what I thought it would be. I'm. I'm not surprised. And this is where I also give the NHL credit, Steve, for starting just with the playoffs. I think they have the best system in place out of all the major sports coming back. Uh, um. Well, no, they don't. They, they, what they do is they're going to start with the playoffs at 24. The top four teams at each conference get to play a round robin for seeding. But at least that makes somewhat sense. What the NBA is yeah. doing, I would rather do what the NHL is doing than what the NBA is doing. Well, at least they're doing something. Of course. I mean, at least they're doing something. 
Oh, here it is. Uh, I've been waiting for this. This is the, uh, they put together a an alleged blue ribbon panel to look at the all decade team for the Big Ten. And here it is, first three teams. Okay. First team. Or is it is just maybe this is just at fifteen. Here's the all decade team. Frank Kaminsky, Trey Burke, Draymond Green, Denzel Valentine, Evan Turner, Jared Sullinger, Ethan Happ, Carson Edwards, Victor Oladipo, Cassius Winston, Aaron Kraft, Caleb Swanigan, D'Angelo Russell, Jawan Johnson, Jordan Murphy, Yogi Ferrell. No Lamar Stevens. No DJ Newbill. No Tim Frazier. No Taylor Battle. I'm sorry, if you're a one-and-done, unless you, like, blew the league up, I mean, D'Angelo Russell was the second overall pick, but is he an all-decade pick? And play one year. Well, this is where winning means a lot. It says here, did our 24-member panel get it right? No. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Kraft? Are you kidding me? I mean, Aaron Kraft? <laughs> when Penn State had a backcourt of Tim Frazier and Taylor Battle, Kraft wouldn't have started. <laughs> he wouldn't have started. Wow. That's wow. Yeah, that's bad. I mean, I'm not I'm not I don't want to put down any of the players here because I mean Kaminsky was a national player of the year. Burke was a heck of a player. Draymond Green was really good. Um Draymond Green was really good, but not awesome. He was really good. Denzel Valentine developed into a really good player. Especially by the time he was a senior, really good all-around player. I really liked Evan Turner a lot. Cassius Winston, fabulous. Oladipo became a great college player. Carson Edwards, I always liked. Uh, Sullinger never lit me up. No offense to Ethan Happ, never lit me up. Uh, Caleb Swanigan rarely lit me up. D'Angelo Russell was there one year. Jawan Johnson was steady. Jordan Murphy was uh, from Minnesota was uh, a double-double machine. Aaron Kraft never lit me up, ever. Yogi Ferrell, no offense. Indiana fans, love him, love him, love him. All right, again, Yogi Ferrell's in the same backcourt with Tim Frazier and Taylor Battle. He's coming off the bench. I mean... I mean, that, that's just my opinion. And no, no Lamar Stevens? No Lamar Stevens? He scored 2,200 points in his career. Was an NIT MVP and got his team to the NCAA tournament his senior year. Hey. I don't know. Makes no, no sense to me. 
just my opinion. I mean, I, again, I, obviously I'm not part of the voting panel, so I'm not part of the 24-member. I mean, I'd have to see who the voting panel is. I don't know. That's what happens when you've got these, you know, let's do the all-decade thing. I mean, it's... And Penn State's two all-time leading scorers both played in this decade. Okay, two all-time leading scorers. Okay, both in their senior years got their team to the NCAA tournament. Both won the NIT championship. Neither one makes this team. Really? I mean, Wisconsin's been great, so they get two. Michigan State obviously has been awesome, and they get one, two, three. Minnesota Murphy was just a double-double guy all the time. Indiana gets two, and they were like, eh. Now, Indiana is Indiana basketball is so much like Michigan football. It's almost stunning how similar the two of them happen to be. Stunning. Uh, really big name off the on the front of the chest. Uh, but no results in the last 15 years to speak of. Extremely dangerous on any given night, Indiana basketball is. Uh, Michigan football on any given Saturday, extremely dangerous, but never consistently dangerous to win championships. Never. Uh, I mean, it's Dick and I were talking about this. We think it's absurd. I mean, four Ohio State players are on there. Four Ohio State players. Now Turner, I love. Turner was fabulous, but Sullinger was good, not great. Kraft, no way. And Russell played a year. And the year he played, he was good. But you know, I didn't sit there and go, "Oh my goodness, look at him." Now, just because you're drafted in a certain spot. You know, it doesn't mean you're on this team. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm not saying Bubby and Lamar both have to make it, but one of them needs to. There's got to be other people in there, too, that you got to think of over the years that didn't make it. How many different schools are represented here? Michigan only had one, Michigan only had one on here. Michigan at least made championship games. Uh, Minnesota, Michigan, Purdue. There's two Purdues. Well, there are only five teams here? Maybe. One, two, three, four, five... Six teams total in the whole thing out of 14. Six total out of 14, really? Uh, Purdue had three because I, I see Carson Edwards is in there too with, Swan, with Swanigan. Uh, just... <sighs> Who was the panel? That's what I'd like to know. Let's see. Robbie Hummel was on there. Robbie's a great guy, anyway. I mean, it's, but 
Yeah, Robbie. Robbie was part of it. Uh, let's see. Well, I'll tell you right now that I mean, even even Draymond Green. Draymond Green in college was a good player, but all decade. I mean, you know, Taylor Battle in Penn State beat Michigan State in the Big Ten semifinals in 2011. In fact, in the second, the game was tied at halftime. It blew him out in the second half. Green did nothing. He had a three at the end of the first half to tie the game, and then after that. He and his team didn't come out for the second half. Ay, ay, ay. Shows you sometimes the respect you get or don't get. And we'll come back with more in a moment. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us on the show. So the official. Big Ten Network All-Decade Basketball Team, 24-member panel. First team, Frank Kaminsky, Wisconsin. Frank the Tank was tremendous. Trey Burke was a great player at Michigan. Draymond Green is a better pro than he was a college player. Denzel Valentine had a fabulous senior season, ended up being a first-round pick. I was always a big Evan Turner guy. Second team, Cassius Winston, uh, Loved him at Michigan State. Victor Oladipo went from being okay to being really good in player of the year at the end. Carson Edwards, I loved from the first day I saw him. Ethan Happ, uh, yes, put up numbers, but was so limited as to how he played. Couldn't hit free throws, couldn't step out and hit a shot. Um, But he's got the name and got some numbers. Jared Sullinger was good, but not awesome at Ohio State. Hey, Lamar, if if you gave me a choice between Ethan Happ, Lamar Stevens, or Jared Sollinger, Lamar Stevens, I'd pick Lamar Stevens every time. And then we get to the third team. Okay? Juwan Johnson, I thought, was tremendous at Purdue. I mean, tremendous. Caleb Swanigan was really good. But if I was picking another Purdue guy, I might go with um, Robbie Hummel. But Robbie's actually on the panel. And then you get uh, Jordan Murphy was a double-double machine in Minnesota. Uh, so I understand that part. And, and Murphy, by the way, played hard. But Yogi Ferrell and Aaron Kraft, right? You, DJ Newbill, who scored 1,800 points in three years at Penn State, used to, in a basketball sense, right, in, on the, in a basketball sense, he wrecked Aaron Kraft over and over and over again. I mean, wrecked him. Kraft couldn't guard him. All right? If Taylor Battle, Tim Frazier, and Aaron Kraft were on the same team, Kraft would be coming off the bench. And the same story with Yogi Ferrell. I was never a big Yogi Ferrell guy. Never. When Yogi Ferrell did play in the NBA with the Mavericks, I gave him all the credit in the world because I never thought in a million years he'd play in the league. Never did. So I was wrong about his ability to get to the league. He got there, and not only did he get there, he actually played well when he got to the league. But I never went into any game going, oh, boy, here comes Yogi. Here comes like, I was like, yeah, to me he was another guy that was the big-name player on the team. But Indiana gets two guys on this team 
Oladipo was a player of the year, and Farrell. Again, Indiana basketball is the 2000s equivalent of Michigan football. Dangerous on any given night because they've got a uh, they've got enough talent to be really dangerous, but they aren't good enough to be consistently dangerous every weekend. I mean, Indiana has. I mean, Indiana hasn't been past the Sweet Sixteen in eighteen years. Michigan hasn't won a Big Ten championship in sixteen years. Yet they're treated as they're treated as consistently elite. Okay. They're both in the category of really, really good and really, really dangerous on any given night or Saturday. I mean, you can be the top team in the Big Ten. Indiana could go out and beat you on that night. The problem is they'll lose three or four other games and and won't win the title. Michigan can win a game against somebody that's t- really a terrific team. But they can't. There are other teams they can't beat. They can't beat Ohio State, obviously. And Penn State's beaten them two of the last three times they played. I, it just, I mean, that's that's what they are. And the problem is, is you don't have enough people that realize that on a national level, you cannot will teams to prominence. They have to earn their prominence. Penn State had two players, you know, I mean, even, I mean, in Taylor Battle and Lamar Stevens that combined for over 4,400 points in their career. And at a tough program, each one got their teams to the NCAA tournament, which is a tougher road here. No recognition. Are you kidding me? And then I look at other people where they just got, I mean, because of the name of the front of the jersey, it was enough, their accomplishments were enough to get them there. Like, I'm sorry. But that's what this is about. They want that kind of publicity. That's why they do teams like this. But, it, you know, they missed.